right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sally here. I am thrilled to be reheating a Ryder Cup check-in thanks to our friends at BMW, a worldwide partner of the 2023 Ryder Cup. BMW will be electrifying the Ryder Cup with a fully electric fleet of vehicles for players and officials this September. I will be riding in one of those out in Rome, and we are here with the same foursome you heard. Uh, I believe it was October. I could have sworn that was three months ago we did this, guys. But we are back with another episode, welcoming in on the American side, waving his flag, Mr. Kyle Porter. Hello, KP. How are you? Great. I've been sitting here for a while just scrolling the NCAA uh, leaderboard looking for Ludwig, and it's it's taken me. I mean, we've been been scrolling for a while so i've been it's it's taken me a while to find him but it's, it's interesting it's great to be here today, considering their, their match play today <laughs> well, i was looking for the results it's from yesterday golf course so. which you know what may may carry forward to through the Ryder <laughs> cup <laughs> i was i was it doesn't bode well i couldn't believe we got in the first minute when we got straight to ludwig tc didn't even bring it up and the point i wanted to make about the bad golf course already brought in the voice you just heard is of course Tron Carter representing the European side and also representing the European side, so-called journalist, but biggest homer I know, Jamie Weir from Sky Sports. <laughs> Hello, Jamie. Journalist in adverted commas is how I often get referred to on Twitter these days. So thanks for that. Calls himself a journalist. How many uh, how many guys are on your European Ryder Cup team now at this point? I think Kyle, you got more kids on your uh, more guys on your team than Kyle Porter has kids. I think. <laughs> You know, it's just it's a it's, it's a long list at the moment, which needs to be thinned out. It's we've got so many options. It's just it's hard to narrow it down to twelve. That's the problem. Okay, here we go. Well, uh, we do have a little bit of breaking news here. Uh, we have, have new no laying up rangefinder designs and a premium carrying case available now on Precision Pro Golf dot com slash nlu from now until june 20th you can get 30 dollars off all rangefinders with their father's day sale and you can get the new nlu designs today we've been using the nx10 for about a year now this rangefinder has been everything we've needed and more it locks onto the target quickly it has additional features such as a slope switch hd optics magnetic cart mount uh, which has made the nx10 our go-to choice you're going to need the slope switch uh, in the practice rounds at Marco Simone, which we'll get to. Uh, you won't find a better customer care package in golf from free battery replacements to industry-leading customer service and a 90-day money-back guarantee. There's a reason Precision Pro has been our trusted partner for years. So don't wait. Go to precisionprogolf.com slash NLU to save $30 and get the no-laying-up NX10 rangefinder and case today guys we're we're american homers sometimes on this podcast tc keeps us honest keeps us honest as much as possible uh I, you guys gave a review of the previous episode said surprisingly it wasn't too homerish and i'm going to start it with the european team we're going to go to europe uh, i'm going to leave it up to you either tc or jamie who wants to lead with uh kind of how this european team is shaking out what you think the key uh, elements are to look for in the coming weeks and months, what you've seen recently from guys that has you either excited or worried. I'll leave it to you guys to where you want uh, to start. We, first of all, we want the ball. We're going to score. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, where should we start, man? I, th I don't think much has changed, particularly from October in the sense that I think the sort of the top eight in the European team are pretty strong and will give any Americans a run for their money. And then it's nine to 12 where the Ryder Cup will probably be won and lost. And that obviously is 
an area of strength for the US ahead of Europe at the moment. I'm being realistic there. I'm not going to give it the bravado and, you know, big up the fact that we've got 12 world-class golfers. Well, we do. But, um, you know, obviously it's the bottom end of the team where Europe at the moment, you're sort of scratching your head to think who's going to be number 11 and 12 on the team. But in terms of the top eight, I think they're all looking pretty solid. Can we go through those real quick? I'll list them off if my top eight matches your top eight, which of is of course John Rahm, Rory McIlroy. Victor Perez is sitting in the third slot currently on European teams point list. There's a lot of time left in that, so I'm assuming he's not in your top eight as locks because I think filling these out would be Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood, Justin Rose, and Shane Lowry would be the eight that I think a lot of people are considering to be locks. You're nodding your head in agreement. Correct, Sully. Those are the eight. And then there's sort of... There's probables at the moment, or possibles, whatever you want to call them. The likes of Alex Noren, who hasn't been in great form. Um, Victor Perez. That is actually that is actually the Swedish pronunciation. I'm sure Tron will agree with me on that one. Listen, I got I've never I got heard that totally bodied by Linnea Strom's uh, pronunciation last week, <laughs> among all the other pronunciations on the LPGA pod. So I'm I'm far from an expert as far as how to pronounce this. Stuff. If you ever watch, I, I mean, just to go off on a slight tangent because that's what we do in these podcasts. If you ever watch a uh, program called The Bridge, which is a drama set between Denmark and Sweden, I would highly recommend it to anybody. It's got subtitles, so it might not be for an American audience. It's quite highbrow, but um, is that like because we can't read oh or what? God. Well, just you know, it's you know, it, it requires a certain level of intelligence and sophistication. But um, but it's uh, the the lead character in it is called Saga Noren, and she's her she's N O R E with an accent N. Anyway, there's no accent off, we, though. We, we there's go no accent on on Alex's. So it could it, that could change sure? the pronunciation. Okay, well, let's just call him Alex Noren for now. Uh, he's on the possibles list, along with Victor Perez, uh, Adrian Moronk, and Seamus Parr for me. That's rounding off my 12 are at you, the moment, but obviously there's a lot of moving parts there. Are you there. serious wow. right now? Shots fired. Some dissension within the European team room already. <laughs> Look, there are a lot of options at the moment. Nothing's finalized on the 30th of May. Take, take the floor, Tron. I mean, yeah, I'm uh, my my light just went out. I'm 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 a gas. Hold on one sec. They're, Sally, they're they're trying to deflect with talking about Swedish pronunciations, and I mean it's already they can't just pronounce a, their, their names of their team. I, I, I don't know if there's, there's much to worry about for the Americans. There's so much misdirection <laughs> going we on. We need already. to build for the future. All right, we've got uh, all right. So of the names. I don't feel like Moronk, like, I don't know. I just, I say it. He doesn't fit Marco Simone. Say it. I don't know if he's a he good person. Right? He won the Italian open, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I know that. Um, you know, Victor Perez, <laughs> like, I think Victor Perez should be on the team, whether he qualifies on points or not. I think he's proven it at Austin golf club for the WGC match play. I think, you know, he's just, he's been a pretty steady contributor year after year after year here, not quite breaking through, but I feel like his, his results have been a little bit higher ceiling this year. I just feel like you got to like Ludwig and the Hoy guards. You got to have at least one of those guys on the team. And I feel like Ludwig is, you know, you can, if he doesn't pan out, you can still hide him a little bit. You can send him out there. He's going to hit fairways. He's, he's not going to embarrass himself. He's his, the floor is high. He's shown that he can, like, like let's let's invest in the future. How crazy would it have been a few years ago, Sally? Like, 
when, you know, we were saying, oh my gosh, like they need to put, we need some new blood on the U.S. team. We need, you know, like, and then Max shows up on the, on the U.S. team during the President's Cup and completely balls out, you know? Look at Scotty Scheffler in 2021. He was the 12th man on that team and is now the number one player in the world. And it was maybe it's slightly early in a lot of people's minds to put Scheffler on that team, but rarely does it. But I think it, Scotty, Scott, the Scotty Scheffler of 2021 was in a slightly different position to the Ludwig Eberg no, of 2023. I mean, they're pretty much, you know. He'd been knocking on the door in the PGA Tour. He shot a 59 in, during the FedEx Cup playoffs. Look, Tron, I'm all about the, the young blood and the changing of the guard. And I'm sure he's going to be a staple of Ryder Cup teams going forward. I just worry that three months after turning professional might be a bit soon to play a Ryder Cup. I, I, I would have put him on he's there also as like, an amateur. Like 35 like, uh, years no, old, right, isn't he, right? Solid. Get that one in there, all right? <laughs> uh, I'm, I, like, I don't know if the course fit works necessarily for the, for the Hoy guards. I know Nikolai finished T5 at Marco Simone. Nikolai won the Italian Open there previously. Yeah, that seems like yeah, that yeah. seems like it would it would favor well. So look, on, yeah, on right. the course, I, I got a little info. I contacted our friends, of course, at Data Golf. Uh, I went and saw the golf course itself. I freaked out. I plan to freak out on this podcast about the golf course uh, because it kind of melted my mind. I asked the guys to kind of put something together for, hey, how does it, what, what, what does it get emphasized here at Marco Simone? What is, what will it be? What's it shown to be in the Italian Open? What kind of players uh, does it support or kind of favor? They said it was pretty unique in that it, it, out of 79 European tour courses, it's 23rd in favoring driving distance and 24th in favoring accuracy, which is different than the Golf National, which was the Golf National skewed much, much higher in the accuracy category than Marco Simone does. So basically, if I'm reading it right, it's like good drivers of the golf ball, period, not mindless bombing it and not like Kevin Kisner accuracy is what is going Wait, to hold on. Fa be favored. Explain Marcus this Simone. to me like I'm five. It's not important to to hit it with, with distance or accuracy here? No, it is important for okay. both. It is important to have both skill, right? It's it's driving distance will be rewarded here, yet it's not like winged foot where it's just only driving distance and accuracy is not rewarded at all. And it's not like the golf national where distance gives you almost nothing and only accuracy is involved. Which is, I'm using a stream. Like he's one of the best drivers of the golf ball in, on yeah. the planet. Right. So yeah, I, that's why I think like it, prior to asking them that I would have been like, Hey, I don't know if that's a great course fit, but like they, they were em emphatic in that it's different, a different test than the golf national. I also said, Hey, I don't know. I they only have one year of data uh, on how they set it up for this year, which was, blew my freaking mind how much waist high rough there was on this golf course like eight yards off the fairway not like hack it out right like i'm talking lost ball potential very close to these fairways um yet it's just long enough that it's not like you can just hit irons off the tee and leave yourself to I mean, in some of these holes the only thing i would say to that is you saw it in early may where the grass is going to be very lush you're not going to have a very dry um, summer in Italy, uh, where the grass is going to basically turn to straw and thin out, and then you're playing a Ryder Cup at the tail end of September, by which stage that grass might not have fully recovered. I don't think the course is going to be in the same condition in late September than the course you saw it in. I think that's that's possible, but I'd also heard that uh, they were planning. They had they had bigger plans for the rough as of this fall than than what they saw. I I agree that 
the characteristics will change in terms of you know spring versus fall, but I don't think it's I don't think they're planning on it being dry and wispy and do whatever you want out of it. That's for sure. So which like I I I I don't know what you know as the European team's characteristics have changed. I think it's changed the profile of the team has changed a lot in five years. I don't know how much um, you know it favors that. Like the golf national was a genius play by them. They played it to perfection. They ran circles around the U.S. team in terms of team construction, how they came out with their pairings. It was just a masterclass in all of that. And I don't know if like they have that same uh, ability and capability with this kind of golf course. Well, I mean, I mean that's the thing that I see a lot, and, I th- and we're maybe going to come on to this later in the podcast. So apologies for bringing it up now, but you know, a lot of the people saying, "Is it time we have?" an independent party setting up these Ryder Cup courses because it's becoming too skewed to the Americans when it's on US soil and too skewed to Europeans when it's on European soil. And I still am like, well, is there a European style of golf? You look at our team now, John Ram, Roy McIlroy, Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, they're all playing their golf in the US. Like, there's not. it's not like they play golf a fundamentally different way to... Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, etc., etc., etc. So I don't really understand. Like that was maybe a thing back in the nineties, but then again, the Ryder Cup seemed to be closer back then. So I, I, I don't really understand. Like five years ago in Paris was different. There were some players in that team who, like Francesco Molinari, Torbjorn Olsson, Tommy Fleetwood, who obviously, uh, uh, Sergio Garcia, Henrik Stenson, I could go on, just extreme ball strikers, and that's what the, what Thomas Bjorn was trying to do. And they leaned heavily on the data and the analytics for that Ryder Cup. I look at how this European team's shaping out now, and I don't think, oh, they're all just players who dink it about and are extreme, extremely world-class ball strikers. Like They play a style of golf that is similar to the 12 we're going to see from America as well, right? I, I agree with that. I just want to point out for 2018 how... Again, for the captain's picks that were made on the European side, Paul Casey went 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Henry Stenson went 3-0. and oh. yeah. Henry Stenson basically won them the Ryder Cup on top of what Molinari and Fleetwood did, obviously. And Sergio went 3-1, and one, and then Poulter went 2-2, two and two, including taking down DJ in singles, right? Yeah. So the, the U.S. team added uh, Tony Finau, who went 2-1. and one. Shout out to the big tone. Tiger went 0-4. Oh uh, Bryson went 0-3, and, and Phil went 0-2 and, and conceded his last match on a tee box. He, uh, I think yeah. before his ball even landed in the water on the 16th yeah. hole. So they brought a team that was just not a great – I mean, Which that's their again, this fault. is a total – Yeah, like, yeah. For sure. Well, it, it is, but again, I, I, I want to reset the scene for Bryson won two playoff yeah, events. Yeah, Furyk had no other choice. Fury had, had no to take choice. him, right? Yeah. Tiger literally just won the Tour Championship the week before. What yeah. are you going to do, not take Tiger fucking Woods after he won a golf tournament? And granted, like him rolling over, uh, coming on the, the that tournament was the week before the Ryder Cup that week. Him rolling over, he did not seem to, uh, he lost something on that flight, whatever that was, and was not nearly the same guy. Phil should not have been on the team. We know that. He knew that from one round in. I think he said this, I'll sit out until singles. Uh, it went, But that didn't end up deciding the Ryder Cup. They had some stuff just kind of work in the wrong direction for him. Ricky Fowler going one and three and DJ going one and four sank that team. It really sank that team. So I don't know if they need to upend the apple cart for, for going over and playing a European Ryder cup, but they got to be, this team hopefully is going to be better prepared for what's at hand than that team was. Jamie, let's talk. All right. So who were the three that you mentioned? You said Seamus power or the, sorry, the four that you mentioned Seamus power, Adrian Moronk. I just think in recent weeks, winning in Italy has helped obviously, but you know, he's, he kind of 
didn't do too badly at the PGA Championship either. I just think he's he's not just a proper golfer, Adrian yep. Moronk. Um, Victor Seventh Perez. Seventh ranked European over the last six months. Yeah. Is, uh, I'm Moronk with you. I think, think Moronk. Yeah, and I think, and I think people, people look at Adrian Moronk and they see the sort of physical size of him and they think he's just going to be somebody who smashes it everywhere and is wayward off the tee or whatever. But he's obviously shown by winning around Marco Simone that there's a bit, he's not a one dimensional golfer. Um, Victor Perez, I agree. I think he's done enough now and he kind of holds his own whenever he goes over and plays in the world stage that he's in the mix as well. And I've got Alex Noren as well, who has not, his record is pretty abysmal this season, a lot of missed cuts. But I just think he's somebody who's been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt, was part of, has been part of a winning Ryder Cup team, brings experience. And look, there's so many names then that just are, you know, you can make a case for Sepp Straka, you can make a case for Thomas Detry, Yannick Paul is sort of on the fringes as well at the moment, um, the Hoygaard boys, Bob McIntyre seems to have slightly fallen off a cliff in terms of his form. But there's a lot of players in the fringe, and it's going to be about who Luke Donald riding a hot hand when it comes yeah. to September, but who's playing good golf at the time. Is Adrian Otagwe, is he completely out of the mix because he had that dalliance with Liv? And... I would say he's a European tour member. He should he's not be... playing DP World Tour golf no, I know, again. I, yeah, but is he I, like kind of unofficially yeah, and... blackballed because of that? <laughs> I don't think so. He's paid his fine, which is more than some people have done from the, from, from the same country. Um, uh, I think Adrian Otegi is a different, a difficult one to judge because he seems to have now been taken back into the inner sanctum of the European Tour. Um, you know, one round, very impressively, one round Valderrama towards the tail end of last season, which I think is a course that probably has similar attributes to Marco Simone in terms of the accuracy required. So yeah, I mean he's de- and he always seems to, he always seems to be a name that's there thereabouts in leaderboards. So you know, he's kind of feast or famine. Like he's he like he finished yeah. solo second last week in the Netherlands, finished second at the at the Dunhill. So I mean, you know, wide variety of, of golf courses, but yeah but also yeah, you know, finishes kind of outside the mix or at least has has this year plenty as well. So uh, is Sepp Straka a legitimate consideration? I mean, it's you say Adrian Otegi's feast or famine. I see Sepp Straka oh, is kind of a totally. similar thing. He'll sort of go even worse. He'll go like throw in a top five finish yep. and then just have six missed cuts in a row and then challenge <laughs> at a major championship. It's just um, he's a really difficult one to work out. Um, he's obviously never played. He's never really shown much interest in even being part of the European tour until this season, but he obviously has played now and he played in the hero cup at the start of the year. He's taken up his DP world tour membership. So he's obviously wanting to be part of the Ryder cup team. I just find him a very difficult person to judge in terms of what are his strengths. And, you know, he obviously gets in these ridiculous heaters and if he gets in a heater for one week at the tail end of September, great, but he can, he's also liable to turn up and absolutely stink the joint out and be impossible to pair. And, you know, That's- so it's, that's where I'm at with Sepp is like, even if he wins the week before, I don't know what I'm getting yeah. when he shows up the next week. Right. I, I, and if I'm, if I'm you guys where I'm sitting for the European side, I think you're sitting in both a good and bad spot. Like I think the last four are really unclear right now, but I don't think that's a problem in late May. as Exactly. We're this. I think there's so yeah. much time to figure that out. I would be sitting back waiting for the hot hand. I think like, I don't get like super amped about Seamus power. I mean, his game has really trended poorly the last three months. I mean, he had a great, you know, if you look at his long-term run over the last two years, he's been a solid player, but 
He's getting worse over the last 12 months, worse over the last six months, worse over the last three months like that. That's not the kind of guy. And I know, I know you can throw all the strokes gain stuff out, but you want to be at least like setting some context for what guys are doing. And I think people contend a lot of the conversation can be um, contend to gravitate towards guys highest weeks to be like, oh, that guy should be no, on the I team now. Kurt Kimiyama should be on the team. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta play good golf. Like you gotta be a golfer that's just tough to tough to knock out. And um, I think there's totally room for somebody to get freakishly hot and have some upside between the, the Hoy guards and Ludwig. As much as we give TC shit, like I'd rather uh, if I'm the European team, I'd rather go with high upside like that because you're going to be underdogs. There's nothing that's going to change between now and the end of the year. And I, I we've known how much. We don't need to remind people of the, the success Europe's had on its home soil. Like you're going to be underdogs and you got to be looking for high upside. If I'm an American fan, go ahead and sign up Adrian Otagwe and Pablo Larathabo. Like, yeah, we haven't right talked about like, Pablo. That's not yeah. going to be. Uh, I mean, I felt like part of the thing that really irked me at Whistling Straits was like there were guys on the European team that straight up couldn't hit the same shots on some of the par threes as the Americans. You know, like they just couldn't. They just couldn't hit that like 235, 240 yard long iron in there, you know, the same way. And, you know, the, the Weisberger or, you know, the, it, it's just, it was just not a fair fight as far as skill level. Whereas I feel like if you bring in the Ludwig and you bring in a Nikolai Hoygaard and like those guys can hit those shots. But that's where setup changes, TC, yeah. right? Like, I, I don't, I think Europe would not be setting up their team very well again for like the, the best way to display the gap in talent was what the US did at the Hazel team, which is like, let's stretch out these par threes to the back boxes. Whistling Straight gave them tons of flexibility. It's a really long golf course with a ton of tees that they can stretch out as much as they want. But like, let's say, let, let's have you try to beat Colin Morikawa and Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley hitting fives and four irons. And like, over the course of three days, that's going to wear you down. Whereas, I wouldn't be surprised if I mean 17th tee at, at the Ryder Cup is like uh you know that 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 could be pretty long. I'd be stunned if they played it all the way back. Like if you're Europe, make that 160, 170 yard shot, give your guys a chance to get the crowd into it, make it more of a putting contest, shrink down what the competition is gonna be. Like that's hundred percent gonna be their playbook, I have to think, because the more you stretch this out, the more you make it about that talent gap, the more you're gonna you're you're opening yourself hey, that's up a to fair get point. Beat. I'm going to welcome myself back to the podcast. Um, I, what's interesting about what Tron said is, is something Ben Coley pointed this out during the 2021 Ryder cup. Remember when, so Rory sits on Saturday and he's like, yeah, Rory has sucked. Like he doesn't deserve to play, but our only like Europe's only chance of winning is if, is if Rory plays. And I wonder if the same thing is true of like, when you're talking about the eight through 12 spots of, of, of Ludwig and the, the Hoy guards of like, yeah, that's not going to make Europe the favorite, but in the, and the floor becomes like pretty low because you don't know how that's going to go. You kind of know what you're getting from Alex Noren. Right. But it might be, I don't know that this is true, but they might look at it and say, but that's our path yeah. to winning. This it's like known unknowns. Like, Hey, like we need, like <laughs> we need to roll the dice a little bit and get, you know, a guy that like, and listen, I'm not sure. I think you would probably, you would take, I think Nikolai over, over Rasmus. Rasmus. Um, yeah. You know, based upon just tendencies and record and all that. But, you know, I just, I feel like if you, if you had two young guys on the team, I think that like 
you know, if one of them pans out and one of them doesn't, you can always hide a guy, right? Like they've had to hide Fitzpatrick in past years, or they've had to hide certain guys. I think Fitzpatrick's going to be an asset this time around. Yeah, yeah. He's a different player yeah. from the last two yeah. Cups he's played. Well, if I can, I, one takeaway though I had to see of being out there, uh, an immediate takeaway was this golf course is going to make it hard to hide guys because this is not a place you're going to send a lot of guys out to play five matches. It's yeah, not. It is It is that up and down. It is that dramatic. It is exhausting. I mean, I know they're going to be walking in the fairway and not in the rough like we were walking, and we were riding in a cart. By the end of that round, I was beat. I, I was totally beat going up and down a lot of the slopes of that golf course in a golf cart. And I know I'm not a professional athlete, and these guys are, but in the heat of competition, the ele- the actual, like the, that change of elevation um, on, you're on the side of a mountain on that golf course, and it, it screamed like, "Man, it is just going to be that much harder to hide guys and uh, and send guys out for then, multiple matches." I just, I'd be st- I, I just like, all right, like who are we going to trot out? Sammy Valamaki? Like, come on, like let's <laughs> just like I've never felt more sure about anything than I feel about Ludwig needing to be in the mix for this. I just, it's a fucking no brainer. J- Jamie, are you concerned at all that four of the no-brainers, so Hatton, Hovland, Fitz, and Lowry, are a combined three fourteen and two, or three fourteen and three at at Ryder Cups in the past? No, because I think Matt Fitzpatrick, the two Ryder Cups he's played in in the past, were on two courses that were absolutely not courses for him. Um, uh, Hazeltine 2016 he was 21 years old he by his own admission was not ready for that Ryder Cup he was just completely out of his depth rabbit in the headlights um, and also it wasn't a course that set up to his strengths Whistling Straits again that was a big old bombers course at a time when Matt Fitzpatrick hadn't yet worked on the speed sticks and, and added this length to his game he's now a major champion he's a different player these days so I think he's going to be one of the key members of the European team Shane was part of the he's only played in one Ryder Cup and it was again whistling straights when it was the perfect storm everything that could have gone wrong for Europe went wrong for Europe and even then Shane was one of Europe's best players at whistling straights um Hovland likewise you know he didn't do too badly in the Ryder Cup at whistling straights but he kind of wasn't helped out by some of the partners he'd had I think he's also a different player to the player that he was two years ago um and Tyrrell, I think, was alongside Casey, was one of the stars in Paris five years ago. And I think he's, again, a better golfer now than he was um, a couple of years ago. So I think a lot of those stats are sort of skewed by the by whistling straights, which didn't go well for Europe at all. And Matt Fitzpatrick was probably dragged down by not having the best partners there either. Um, so, no, I'm not concerned about that because I don't think I don't read too much into records of years gone by you know Francesco Molinari had a terrible Ryder Cup record when he arrived in Paris and then he went 5-0 and so you know things happen at Ryder Cups that are kind of inexplicable um they you know there's no not necessarily I wouldn't lean too heavily into what people's Ryder Cup records are unless obviously you're somebody like a Colin Montgomery who just always brings out his best on on, on that stage I want to disagree with you but I can't that's right <laughs> I'm just not a not a fan of that place at all like it's just it just laid bare like cool like we're playing one style of golf here and certain people just straight up like this is just isn't their thing right I, at least whistling's wide right it, it kind of promotes some interesting kind of golf it's not like my favorite course i don't think it's like an amazing test i think it's not a good Ryder cup venue i think Ryder cup venues should Terrible. be set Terrible. up totally different should be a fan experience right and like yeah. that 
as far as I think Whistling Straits is a way better golf course than the Golf National. Way, or, I'm sorry, both the Golf National and uh, Marco Simone. <laughs> but like Marco Simone will be a way better environment than Whistling Straits was. Yeah. Like that was a miss. My, my, I, th- I thought Whistling Straits looked great on TV. Sure. But what, seven of the holes? Hug Lake, Michigan, which means you can't, you can only have fans up one side of the hole. Horrible. And I think, you know, having fan, fans lining both sides of the hole, amphitheaters around the greens is what makes a Ryder Cup, brings that atmosphere to life, that cauldron like atmosphere. And Marcus Simone is not a good golf course, but it will have that. It will have those natural amphitheaters, pardon the Roman, compa- you know, pun. Um, and it will, you know, bring fans into the event more than Whistling Straits did. Is it true that they're setting up the first tee inside the Coliseum, Jamie? <laughs> they're just going to play it I out of the I can neither confirm nor deny that. Are the opening <laughs> ceremonies going to be there? That was floated like four years ago when they announced this was going to be the site, but I couldn't find anything to confirm that it was. I feel like I don't think, think it's kind of necessary. I can't, I, can't handle, I can't handle Zach Johnson doing the Russell Crowe <laughs> scene from God. I, that can't is, happen. All right, so, so I hope they're not. Real quick, is like... <laughs> Cause that's, that's my thing is like, I like whistling straights as a, as a spectator was so uninspiring for me that like it, it almost like, that's the only Ryder cup I've been to. And it poured cold water yep. on like, like I'm going to the soul. I chose, I would rather go to the Solheim cup. I went to the Solheim cup in 2021. It was awesome. So I'm like, I can't wait to get back to that. I'm like, Sala, you go to the Ryder cup. I'm gonna go to the Solheim cup over here. But like, that's, that's very clearly, you guys have been to many more than I have. That's very clearly yeah. the outlier. Like it's a, that was the worst one I've been to. I've been to Medina. I went to, uh, did not go to Glen Eagles, but been to Hazeltine, went to the Golf National, went to Whistling. It was like a stunner in terms of, couldn't have been more polar. Like, hey, Hazeltine, Porter, you were there. Like, I mean, how much did that solely to do with the fact that 2021 Ryder Cup, European fans still couldn't travel, so the crowd was like 99% American. Do you think that had anything to do with it? I, I thought it was the, the fact that it was up against the lake, and you yeah. couldn't, you just, you can't create... I mean, it's all about the noise around yeah. a, a, a place like that. And you you couldn't create it. It just felt like so half-assed. And even the first tee, the first tee was so bad. The oh, first God. What, it was day really and a half. Quiet. Yeah, it was. It was it was embarrassing. I mean, it was it was it was very strange. Hazel team was the best sporting event I've ever been to. Like it was like, yeah, me too. the hairs on my neck were standing up in terms of the noise and the atmosphere and Rory doing shit. It was just I mean, it didn't end up being that close, but like the US needed to like step on th- a throat for first time in a long time and they did it and it was just an incredible sporting event and like that's like Hazeltine is low key like a sneaky awesome Ryder Cup venue I I don't even like the golf course but again it's more about the the venue as it comes to me in terms of the overall experience I think some of the some of the fandom also felt more lighthearted in a pre 2016 or 2017 world well, right? I was going to say that was right before the election, and that's where things were starting to bubble just a little bit in my mind. I was like, I had I'd been out of the country, and I came back. And I was like, huh, okay, yeah, things <laughs> are a little different here. I don't think speaking to the European players who I've spoken to that were involved in that Ryder Cup, I don't think it was a particularly friendly. It was not you know, friendly. light lighthearted joshing from the from the crowd at Hazeltine. I thought it actually turned pretty nasty at Hazeltine. It was almost yeah, no, that's almost Brookline esque. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, we got to bring up Brookline, huh? <laughs> every every conversation. I, the, I love no matter what happens at the Ryder Cup. If the Americans lose, 
The Americans, who do they blame? The Americans. They fight with each other. They punch each other in the locker room. When the Europeans lose, who do we blame? The Americans. It's always the Americans' fault. No matter what happens, just blame the Americans, and you can never go wrong. I love that. I think that goes for life generally, not just golf. <laughs> I mean, if Luke Donald doesn't doesn't pick Ludwig, I'm going to blame him. He's a bona fide American at this point, too, right? Blame the He's Americans, for native sure. native son of Chicago. Let me ask you this. What's the worst-case scenario as far as the point stuff goes? Like, if if somebody sneaks his way into the top three either in the world list or the european list to give just run down it really quick before jamie answers how it works is the top three players on the european tour points list which is incentivizing for guys to play dp world tour events the top three of that list are the first three on the team that's where it's rom rory victor perez right now and then the next three automatic qualifiers are from the world list which is not include whoever's holding the top three slots on the europe on the dp world tour list it goes by a world ranking, basically, and the next, you know, the next three guys are filled out from that list. So the the question TT is asking is the risk of somebody kind of sneaking through playing the DP World Tour, winning a bunch there that maybe wouldn't be the best team fit is is the question. Well, because Luke has given himself six picks this time, I see whatever happens. We've got two major championships to go. We've got a couple of other big tournaments to go between now and September. I think those top six will be six of the eight guys that we mentioned right at the at the top of the show. I think there will be a way that eventually those become the six. Now, in terms of a writ, and, and then Luke will obviously be able to then sort of complement his team in whatever way he sees fit. Now, if somebody does sort of sneak in and make it into the automatic six, I don't necessarily see that as it's not a bad you know, thing. Right? Solly came at me on 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 Sunday when I when I mentioned that Pablo Larrazabal was now a dark horse. It's a tradition. He's, Every time somebody wins, you put him on the team. No, it's but amazing. Look, he's a dark he's a dark horse because he has shot up in the he's won twice in the European Tour in the last month, and you know they're against weaker fields in the PGA Tour. I get that, but he's playing the best golf of his life. John Ram has been banging the drum for him. Luke Donald's been in touch with him. And I think he there is a chance he might qualify. I'm not saying he's likely to get a pick. I'm not sure he's a great course fit because he's a bit he sprays it a bit off the tee. But I do think there's a wider point here. And this isn't necessarily a dig at you guys, but there is a kind of sneering, condescending attitude from American golf media, American golf fans, American golfers to a lesser extent towards players who solely play in Europe. Amen. And that Amen, has Jamie. been the case for as long as I can remember, going back as long as I can remember. In 2018, it was Torbjorn Olison uh, um, and Alex Noren. In 2014, it was Jamie Donaldson and Stephen Gallagher. In 2012, it was Paul Laurie and Nicholas Colsarts. In 2010, it was the Molinari brothers and Ross Fisher. I could go back and I could go back and I could go back, but I won't. And even generally speaking, outside of Ryder Cups, there's that kind of snobbery as well. The, the, Colin Montgomery got it throughout his career. Oh, you never did it in the States. Solid, solid Matt class, Fitzpatrick was getting it up until winning the US Open. Yeah, that was the stick to beat Matt Fitzpatrick bit with, with, that he won six times in the European Tour. But oh, Tom, really Tommy's count. getting it right now. Tommy Fleetwood, yeah. Tommy's getting it right now. And look, that's fine. All that does is give the Europeans a chip in the shoulder and a siege mentality. So... We're absolutely fine. TC and I are fine with you guys carrying on. You seem on fine with that. it. You seem totally fine. The last time, the last time you won a Ryder Cup on European soil, you were all still in short shorts. So you carry on talking down to us and looking down your nose at European golf. That suits us yeah. just fine. And there you go. They've, well, it, here's the wrong, thing. I, I, no, it's not wrong, though, you, is it? I'll get there. You go first, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think, I think what you're saying is. 
a little bit true and and but it's also a little bit justified in in when you look at the the coming together of global players happens right now at major championships right and for the most part major championships are set up to benefit players that play PGA Tour golf, right? Like we've seen that over and over again. Whether you agree with that or not, that you get Alex Noren coming over and Terrell Hatton coming over and playing majors and they don't they don't succeed because they're not they haven't been playing that type of golf. Now, where where what you're saying I think is justified is the Ryder Cup especially in Europe doesn't necessarily play that kind of golf. And I think you get the Molinaris, you get the Norans that can find success, a lot of success at these European Ryder Cups to where it makes people that kind of sneered at them or looked down their nose at them look a little bit foolish in retrospect. I would push back in that slightly, Porter, and I would say that we've been speaking, I mean, we literally spoke about it last week in the sense that, in the, the fact that actually major venues now are becoming diametrically opposite to what we see weekend. We got in the PGA Tour. PGA Tour is a race to 25 under par, whereas these majors are actually testing every aspect of your game and are sorting out who are the very best golfers. So I actually think that major golf and PGA Tour golf are now two completely completely separate entities. I don't think majors do set up to reward PGA Tour golfers necessarily. I think they set up to, to, to test the very best golfers. And I don't think Ryder Cups do that either because Ryder Cups aren't played in the best golf courses. They're played in the most fan-friendly golf courses. But do you think it benefits you more to prepare for... I agree with you about majors. Do you think it benefits you more to prepare for majors playing PGA Tour Golf or playing European Tour Golf? I'm not I mean, Kyle... Sure that. Well, I mean, the, the fact is, the, the fact of the matter is the best players in the world play in the PGA Tour. So I'm not sure it's whether it's whatever style of course that you're playing gives you the best preparation for the major. It's just the fact that, you know, the very best golfers, the best European golfers, John Ram, Roy McIlroy, Victor Hovland are playing in the States, so they're obviously going to be the ones that do better. I think it's kind of a misnomer to label Hatton as, like, doesn't play PGA Tour golf. He's played 119 PGA Tour events, and, like, yeah. he's played at least... I mean, he plays between 15 and 20 a year. Same with, I mean, Norin. Norin's played, over the last five or six years, Norin's played 18, I, to, 18 to 25 PGA Tour events a year. They're tour members. They're PGA tour. They're members. tour members. But I think what Kyle's sort of saying is that before you know, before Paris, yeah. before Paris, there was there was an element there was an element of condescension towards Alex Norton and Terrell Hatton because Americans hadn't really seen yeah. them up to that point. Whereas now they're obviously PGA tour stalwarts. I think there's there's. I think Norton was on the PGA tour in 2018. That was his. That was his mm -hmm. first year. 2017, 2018 was kind of or 2016. But he'd won like six times that in the was European when, tour. That was when Tali still people you know, like hard and feather yeah. him as as a manipulator and all that stuff. How many yeah. times did he win on the PGA tour? What was it? I, I lost. I I I was I lost track of that. I I, I missed what that one was. Uh, okay, or was I? Oh, yeah. so I was exactly right I on mean, that one. Okay, no, just, well, okay. I, I was, he's still 63rd in the world. Confirming the point I just made. Thanks you know, for that. You, 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 you guys have rigged the the world golf rankings. You've taken away a bunch of oh god, a bunch here we of, are. Uh, spots. You know, a bunch you of guys. like like everything that was underpinning the European tour has been stripped away, and now they're just left to their own devices, and they're 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 going to wither on the vine. It's it's disgusting. Interesting use of underpinning there, considering literally the PGA Tour underpins uh, the DP World Tour purses there, and the you just don't like that the OWGR got corrected for the the, the prop up that was uh, at all times. I'm not going to do this live on the spot, Jamie, but I'll 
I'll challenge you a little bit on, look, if the DP World Tour only guys records uh, in Ryder Cups in the last 10 years, I would, I'd be curious to look at that. I'd be surprised if it was above 500, right? Because, again, my slides to, if I'm sliding DP World Tour players only, it's because, like, hey, guys, like, you gotta, you're gonna go up against like Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley in the in the Ryder Cup, right? And so the dudes that compete against those guys regularly and beat them quite regularly, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, and Roy McIlroy, I'm gonna view that through a very different lens than say somebody like I don't know, again Pablo Larrazabal or or Adrian Otagway as we're talking about it because that's just not who they're used to beating and playing. It's just a different question. But. You know, I think that that kind of all gets thrown out when it comes to Ryder Cup because sure. the best two American golfers of the last quarter of a century, are, their records are probably pretty close to 500, if not below it, right? You want you want to hear a shocker? What what's what do you guys guess? What uh, Porter, you've probably seen this because we both have Data Golf as our homepage. What do you think Roy McIlroy's record is in the Ryder Cup? Probably right at 500. I would say. I think it's like 18 and 15 or something. 12, 12, and four. He is right at 500 in the Ryder Cup, which which surprised go. me. It, it's hard. There, there are very few guys. I put Rose in this category. I would certainly put Sergio in this category. Yeah. Of like, there's very few guys that have near flawless Ryder Cups where you didn't lay an egg in any of them that you showed up and you played. McDonald. Luke Donald. Luke Donald. Um, I can look that up here. I think he might have the best Ryder and Cup. Four and four and one. You're exactly right. GMAC, eight, five, and two. Um, Poulter, 15, eight, and two. But he threw it late. He's, I mean, he played in so many Ryder Cups. At a certain point, it was time for him to lay an egg on some of this. But um, I want to at least discuss this. It, it's, I find the live conversation on the DP World Tour side pretty distracting and not that relevant. John Rahm had some comments today. Um, speaking, he said, I'm going to miss him when speaking of Sergio Garcia, we had a great partnership at Whistling Straits. I'm going to mention history again, one more time, a Spanish duo in the Ryder cup, I think to me is embedded into the roots of the Ryder cup. Look at Seve and Ali. We were able to do that, do throughout their, their partnership. So it's a little sad to me that politics have gotten in the way of such a beautiful event. Again, it's the best Europeans against the best Americans period, uh, was Rom's quote today. Well, Jamie, what's your, your reaction to that? I mean, I feel as if we've had this conversation a hundred times and I'm getting pretty bored with it. But, you know, it's it's they're two very different conversations when you're talking about should should American golfers live golfers be involved in the U.S. team? Should European live golfers be involved in the European team? They're very different because the European team is literally the DP World Tour. So those guys that have gone to live are have joined a tour that has its as one of its purposes destroying the european tour so you're in a very awkward position if you're going to pick those guys it's not the same in the u.s side of things the pga of america and the pga tour are two separate entities despite what a lot of people on twitter seem to think <laughs> so it's I, I that conversation is um it, it it's it's not as easy on the european side of things no the other thing i would say is I think Brooks Koepka should be in the, Europe, in the on the US team, and I think he will be on the US team, right? I think there is an element of how you've handled yourself since you've gone, since you've made the jump. Brooks Koepka's gone about it the right way. Dustin Johnson's gone about it the right way. There are even a few Europeans who, you know, Henrik Stenson, despite the fact that he was captain at the time that he made the jump, has, <laughs> has, has kind of kept his powder pretty dry since the jump. That's so Martin Keimer, Graham McDowell, having initially started off trying to, you know, justify it has kind of been quiet ever since there's obviously three european golfers who have not remained silent since and they've burned all their bridges now from a Ryder cup point of view and you know 
So, so basically, Sergio Garcia know. literally said, "This tour is shit. You guys are all <laughs> fucked." Like that's a Sergio Garcia quote, right? So, so like John is conveniently leaving out a lot of facts, and I, I get his sentiment. Like, does Sergio give the European team a better chance to win? I'd say so, but like, hey, this is a unique situation. Do you think he does? I mean, 25, 13, and 7. And, yeah, uh, but, you know, look, Monty had a great Ryder Cup record as well. I'm not, I'm not banging the drum for him. Do you pick for this Ryder Cup? People have their shelf life, and I think Sergio Garcia's time has come and gone. And, you know, I, I've seen how many times have I seen... He was really Twitter. good at whistling. And it was, he was a really, good he, compliment he to He was Rob. really good at whistling. Do you know who his partner was for, for all of the pairing sessions? But, the best golfer on the planet, which right, kind of helps. That's John's point here. Just to represent John's point fairly here is like, hey, we were a good team. And yeah. like, honestly, I don't fear Sergio, but as Sergio, like I watched a lot of Sergio and Rom as a team. And I, I, I talked to John about this on the pod. I was like, you guys, your one, two in foursomes was super interesting to watch because Sergio sucked at putting that whole Ryder Cup. But man, watching those two hit the ball, they just won matches through their ball striking. And the holes yeah. that that Rom got to putt, they whooped ass and they just held serve on all the holes that Sergio was putting. And I'm like, dude, I think he would help that team for sure. I think he would play a specific role in it. But Again, it's that's okay. the only name that jumps off to me. But, but here's involved. here's my point. Here's my point where, and this goes for every sport, not just golf. A team is not necessarily the twelve best players. Sure. A team is a Herb unit that here. is the most that is the most cohesive um, that can pull together for that one week the best. And I can promise you that having Sergio Garcia in that team room would be a yep. toxic influence that would drag down the rest of the team. There are enough players in that team now that have lost all respect for Sergio Garcia. 100%. And when the fact that he's turned on the tour, the fact that he came out with those comments, as you mentioned, this time a year ago in Germany, there's enough bad blood now that I think Sergio Garcia has burned all his bridges with the European tour and with ever being involved in the European team again. And that breaks my heart because I loved Sergio as a Ryder Cup player. I don't think his record will ever get beaten. But his time has come and gone. And <laughs> I keep seeing this thing on Twitter from usually the accounts that are banging the drum for you know which tour saying oh the Ryder Cup is completely devalued mm. if it's not going to be the best players against the best players two things I'd say to that first of all the Ryder Cup has never been about the best players against the best players that's the reason for captain's picks it's captains want to sort of mix and match their teams and get the right blend of 12 players so it's never about the 12 best European golfers against the 12 best American golfers it's about whichever golfers the captains see fit to give you the best team and the best chance of winning and secondly they're then so contradictory because they'll say oh it needs to be the best players against the best players um it's a ridiculous that Westwood, Poulter and Garcia aren't getting picked. And then you'll reply to that saying, well, hang on, but they're not among the 12 best European golfers at the moment. And they'll reply to that saying, oh, well, fine then. Good luck with Adrian Moronk and Victor Perez. I was like, so what's your point? Do you want the 12 best players or do you not want the 12 best players? You can't have it both ways. Of course, Sergio well, Garcia I, I, brings you experience and he brings you that know-how. And he's been there. He's been on so many winning teams. But he is not one of the 12 best European golfers at the moment. And... He's now made a lot of enemies on the European tour. For the, so for those two, two reasons, I just can't see how he can possibly be in Rome. A lot, a lot of people who say things like that, they don't understand the business model of the European tour. Right. right? Like the, the, you would be completely undermining your business. Really what the European tour is doing here is they're using the only leverage they really have mm. for the future, which is which is 
like participation in the Ryder Cup, and they're saying, "Hey, we're gonna kick a, we're gonna we're gonna give away that Sergio year." Would Sergio be on the team this year? Probably, and would he be helpful in a vacuum? Yes, but we're gonna kick away that year so that we can leverage Ryder Cup participation for future for the future for guys like Ludwig, for guys like the Hoygards to keep them on the European Tour, and I, there's just. Well, first of all, people who talk about those things have no, they probably don't even understand what the European tour, uh, like what their business model is. But I don't think it's necessarily like a bad long-term play if you're looking at it from the Euro tour's perspective. It's a it's a teeny part of the enormous chess puzzle piece, whatever you want to call it, right? Of, 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 <laughs> of what's setting aside right the justice yeah. and the, the fireballs and all that sort of thing. Uh, the guy that I feel like they're missing the most is like a Thomas Peters, like someone who's just super yeah. like going back to your point, He's the one Jamie about like a team is kind of greater than the sum of its parts and you need glue guys. Like he's, he's a guy that you can pair with a lot of different players and, he he is the one he's the one European live golfer who I think would improve the European team and I think who has handled himself in a way that he would be a popular member of that European team as well. But it still brings us back to that point that Porter just alluded to there, where they've joined a tour that is in direct opposition to the DP World Tour, which is what makes it difficult for Luke Donald to pick Thomas Peters. But as I understand it, he's still allowed to pick him. And I know that Matt Fitzpatrick, Roy McIlroy, Shane Laurie, those guys who will be on the European team don't have an issue with Thomas Peters. It's the three veterans who've bitched and moaned on the way out the door that they have an issue with. A couple of things. I, think, I, I assume you have to still be a DP World Tour member to get yes. a captain's pick, right? So, and he's no longer Correct. a DP World Tour member, right? He has resigned his membership. Thomas Peters is still a DP World Tour he member. Is, so he's getting Yeah, I right think now. it's... The only, the only four that have, have now given up their membership are Westwood, Sorry. Poulter, Garcia, and... Richard Blandy, Blandy resigned. So is, is Peters getting fined then? Oh. Mm? So Peters is getting fined every week that he plays on Lit. Well, that still remains to be seen, but gotcha. that will probably be the outcome. Yeah. So those guys at some t- t- at some stage need to make a decision on: Do I want to maintain my membership and just pay a hundred grand fine every time, or which you know the Saudis might pay for me? Who knows? Or um, do I just want to be done with it? Which is obviously the decision that Westwood, Poulter, and Garcia have made. But I just want to emphasize with Peters, we're literally we're talking about a golfer who has been literally 0.0 strokes gained for the last six months and 0.0 over the last three months. Like he's literally dead flat average professional golfer over the last six and three months. Like are we we're not we're not talking about somebody that's beaten down the door to be on this team with this play. That counts all play, live golf and 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 yeah. and uh four round golf. Um and so it's 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 it just is a Obviously, Poulter, Westwood, all these guys, McDowell have been parts of so many teams, but like it was past their time anyways. If they were still DP World Tour members, I don't know if they would make sense for this team at all. No, they wouldn't. And so it's kind of more distracting than it is actually applicable. Again, I think it's about Sergio only. And yeah, if he didn't behave like such a tremendous, tremendous asshole in all of this, uh, then maybe it would make Sergio is the only one of the European guys on the list who's even in the top 20 of their standing Sergio's 14th exactly. and like that's that's ass that's unadulterated ass uh I mean Bland, like I thought Blandy's been crushing it Blandy's 41st in the live standings this year um all right I don't know when we're going to transition so I got to get another ad read I was supposed to get this in at 25 minutes and we're 50 minutes in here but yeah you guys all know Roback these guys just understand quality there's only one way to describe Roback it is best fit 
best feel. Just like we're trying to find the best fit for the Ryder Cup, now we're kicking off summer. It is the perfect time to load up on the best gear that we own. Their performance polos, they are just different. Whether it's USA-themed designs just in time for Memorial Day weekend or 4th of July or the Ryder Cup uh, or their classic solids and stripes, these polos, they are clean, four-way stretch, moisture wicking fabric. These poles will get you through a warm summer day on the course. Their performance hoodies, Jamie knows this. We send him some. The stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. If you want to be comfortable and relaxed on the course and wear a rowback hoodie, uh, we are wearing them nearly daily. And lastly, the performance Q-zips are a game changer. Nothing beats rocking a rowback Q-zip for an early morning round of golf. I feel like I can't go anywhere now without spotting rowback. They're absolutely everywhere. Father's Day is approaching. Use code NLU at rowback.com for generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. Summer is calling. Make sure to check them out now. All right, you guys won't shut up about Europe. Can we finally start talking about the U.S. Real team? Quick, just real quick, real quick, two things. Just looking at some of, <laughs> looking at some of Dietrich's uh, stats. I'm not sure he's a fit, Jamie. I've, I've been high on him. I'm not sure he's a fit from a from a driving perspective. Yeah, no, I would agree with you on that. And then Luke's playing with him this week at at, at the Memorial. And so then read into that what you, you will. He's also playing with Stefan Jaeger, who isn't eligible for the. Are team, you buying so. or selling on Big Shot Bob McIntyre? I think I'm selling at the moment just because I, I, we all hope that he would kick on this year and, and he hasn't done it yet. I mean, he's had some decent finishes in the lesser European Tour events, had to withdraw, you know, defending his title in Italy, which was unfortunate. Um, I think he missed the cut by a lot at the PGA Championship. I feel like he but, wants it too much. You know, yeah, I, I think I saw, I, I think he is in a similar category to, to Seamus Parr, where they started this year. And that was their sole focus. And I think maybe it's having an impact on their golf that they're just putting themselves under too much pressure to make that team. So, look, I hope Bob turns a corner because he's won around that course and he'd be a great person to have in the team room. But at the moment, he's just not and doing I, it. And I just I do want to address Lud, Ludwig's performance at, at, at NCAAs. Uh, it wasn't what we were looking for. Um, I'll read the question uh, that we got, which I think is is important here. Is uh, from Ra- at Roger Azaria ninety one. Will TC apologize for Ludwig? No, MVC I'm not going to apologize. He, he he was one of okay. you know, He made it through to the fourth round as an individual. I'm told he hit a drive like 360 yards right down the middle of the fairway on the 18th hole, and it bounced into a lake because it was so firm and just a really really poorly designed golf course, which. Just tough luck. Just bad um, luck. Ludwig's gonna. <laughs> Luckily, Marco Simone is a genius. Ludwig's design. gonna be fine. I think I'm keen to see him over the next four to eight weeks. That's the nice thing. We don't have to make this decision now. Ludwig has three, yep. you know, three months to kind of show his medal. And and you know, I hope I hope Luke gets a chance to look at him up close. Like it, the hype is very real. Guys on the European tour are talking about it. He is a legitimate candidate for a captain's pick i'm gonna be, I'll be yeah i think uh, that's true i'll be shocked if they don't take him i'm gonna be appalled if they don't take it's him. i can confirm was at the pga two weeks ago and many people tron many people <laughs> not with tears in their eyes but many people were talking about about what big being on big the on the euro is he a dp world tour member i'm, I'm trying to i'm working <laughs> with some guys at pga tour hq to kind of lean on the global strategic alliance here and grease the skids a little bit make sure that if if he you know if he's not eligible let's somehow figure out how to make him eligible 
little little buddy Garrity kind of thing. I mean, if if, if <laughs> <laughs> voodoo <laughs> is, uh, I mean, if Seb Straka can get uh, DP, I mean, like you <laughs> can figure something out. I, I just want to point out over the last six months. The the A in parentheses, don't let it distract you from the fact that Ludwig has been the seventh or eighth, I can't quite tell, seventh or eighth best European golfer on the planet, including all European golf, all live, every everything. He's been uh, almost a full shot gained, um, which is like a, just a different kind of category. And and over the last three months as well, he would be in the top 12 of and top European And every single time that he's gotten one of these sponsor exemptions, seemingly, he's stepped up. The moment isn't too big for him. Like he, it's not like like he, you know, putter can come and go, but like the guy just doesn't miss the golf ball. Yeah, I'm. I'm just curious if he's gonna, you know, if he wins the mid am this year, is that <laughs> get him in the? All uh, right, let's, talk, let's talk about the U.S. <laughs> let's talk about the shitty U.S. team. Just because we spent 57 minutes talking about Europe, I'm conscious of that. But just to finally close the chapter on Europe, on your list there, Solly, your data. Mm -hmm. How far down is Yannick Paul? Um, for the last, what, what what time period would you like? I don't know. Nine months? Over the last, I can do 12 or six. So we're going to go for the last six. <laughs> he is plus 0.17, which is pretty darn close to just straight, flat, average golfer, right? So okay. he is the 131st best golfer in the world uh, per data golf. But he is fifth on the Ryder Cup Europe list right now, is I think why you're why you're asking. But well, just because I think he, he actually could be a sneaky dark horse and I think he'd be a, a good course fit because he is a strategic golfer rather than somebody who just smashes it all over the place. Um, so yeah, just he, he's my one little sort of dark horse. Anyway, let's talk America. I'd be obligated. I got to point out the data golf Ryder Cup page is it'll blow your freaking mind. It's incredible. They've got you name it, except for nine months, of course, nine month data, but they've got literally trends that of every single potential candidate, how they're playing. You can sort it by their data golf ranking, their OWGR. You can sort it by the Ryder Cup Europe list. You can sort it by Ryder Cup world list. You can go and see like our, their forecast for how they think uh, things are going to go. The history of all of the, the, and the records of everyone, including the captain's picks and everything over the recent years. Uh, it's really, really freaking good. You can look at Europe and U.S. combined to see kind of where the value actually is and where the top players are, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in that. I'm just going to point out a couple things that I found going through that. Over the last six months, the top 10 in strokes gained five Americans and five Europeans. It is split very evenly amongst uh, amongst those top 10 players, but the next 10 after that are all American, including 16 of the next 17 guys in the world. So basically of, of 11 through 27 in the world, all 16 of those 17 are Americans and only one is European over the last six months. You guys are, you guys are peaking uh, so early. Again, You're speaks, peaking too early. <laughs> it speaks to how the, the, the top, the strength at the top for Europe is very much there, but the, you know, finalizing those last few spots is, is probably going to come from some pretty big wild cards, which supports a lot of what we, what we just talked about. Um, I'll over the last well, the Ryder Cup isn't played on paper. Correct. This this doesn't really matter. This doesn't matter at all when balls go in the air. We know that. But it, it uh, give me the most talented guys and uh, see what kind of what you can come up with. But over the last three months, the top four are all Americans, but the next four are all Europeans. Then five more Americans. So again, doesn't really matter. Over the uh, last four months, the top four are all American. Over the last three months, the top four players are all American. Yes. John Ram isn't one of the top players over the last three months. Let me verify that. No, it goes Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley, and then Rom is fifth. I mean, 
hate to see that. I mean, yeah. Okay, let's do let's do the U.S. <laughs> so Pete, this is people to act like strokes gained is some advanced analytics or something like that. It's literally just counting your strokes. Like that's yeah, all it is. I get it. Like, I, it, I agree. It's all it is. Yeah, yeah. Kyle, I'm gonna start this with you. What's what's your reaction to Brooks Kepka's second on the points list right now? Uh, he looks. I, I kind of conceded that he would be on the team. I got a little challenged on that with some some commenters in terms of that he would qualify on points. Uh, I do think, and looking at it a little more closely, he still has to play well over the last two majors. Based on what we've seen so far, I would not bet against that. But uh, what's your kind of reaction to the likelihood of Brooks Kepka being involved on the U.S. Ryder Cup team? Well, I think you compare him with Michael Block in the in the four ball. Uh, but other than, other than that, uh, no. I, I, listen, like I think the I think the only reason people get really wound up about the live stuff with. Kepka, myself included at times, but when it comes to the Ryder Cup, the again, the, the business model of this matters. Like the PGA of America has nothing to do with PGA Tour and their partners they, with the PGA Tour. So I wouldn't say they have nothing to do with it, but just I know that that probably blurries things more than helps, but just want to get that on the record. Yes. But for the purpose of the, the, there's not there's not a true incentive to keep Brooks Kepka off the team because of his live affiliation. Brooks is a PGA of America it, member and, and they've, and I that. think, I think if you're going to keep Brooks off the team, you do it because of some of the reasons that we talked about before whistling straights, like does he even care about the Ryder cup? Does he, does he even want to be on the team? You know, different things like that. Now his talent is so overwhelming. And I think they figured out the sort of formula for, for that, generation of guys in terms of the way their Ryder Cup week is laid out at Whistling Straits in a way that worked, that it maybe some of that stuff doesn't matter anymore. But I I, I just think if there's a reason to not have Brooks Kepke on the team, it has nothing to do with Liv. That's just kind of where I'm at right now. I would tend to agree with that. I think uh, I said this on Sunday's pod, but I think like, all right, the Ryder Cup being two months after the last major and majors are basically the only time we see Kepka peak or try to peak has me at least throwing the question out of like how motivated and how prepared is Brooks going to be. I'm sure if he answered, he would answer that question saying he can dial it up any week that he really wants to. Um, there is a live event the week before the Ryder Cup, which uh, I don't think is going to affect Brooks's status on the team. It may affect how they go about filling in their captain's picks. And DJ is going to have to play a lot better golf between now and the end of the year to make the team. I think I don't think DJ is going to get excluded because of live either. But I think he's got to play a lot better golf. And I do wonder, like, if you're, and it comes down to a captain's pick of, of you know, dealing with guys that are flying over from the U.S. the week before, if that is a factor. I don't think that's nothing. I really don't. And I know there's been years where there's been events played on the PGA Tour the week before the Ryder Cup, but I feel like that's kind of an unnecessary variable because it's not, it, uh, jet lag is real no matter how great of an athlete you are. And, uh, I imagine that U.S. team is going to come over earlier than just arriving that Monday. You've already touched upon it, haven't you? 2018, Tiger was just whacked from the week before when he came over to Paris. And that's not an excuse because there were European guys, European team members that were at that at, uh, tour championship as well that didn't come over. The thing is, with Brooks, though, like, you know, is he overqualified to just be a team member? Could he also be an assistant, ca a playing assistant <laughs> captain where – he's worried about franchise values and he's on all these calls. Does he have equity in yeah. the U.S. team? <laughs> He's so qualified. He, he could be consulting <laughs> on uniforms, all this stuff. Think about the possibilities. 
I was going to say, like, the, uh, it's not as fun to talk about the U.S. team as it is Europe right now. I think things are a little dull on the U.S. side right now. I don't think there's a, a lot of drama going on. I mean, little, we have Scheffler. A little Kepka. dull in more ways than one, too. Yeah, you made your mind up like 10 years ago that you were bored with the U.S. team, and then the team completely turned over. Yeah. Oh, man. And you still can't lay Xander. Yeah, let me get excited about those guys. I think um, – I think the interesting question on the U.S. side of things at the moment is guys who you would have considered absolute locks for the team, namely Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Sam Burns to an extent. Are you concerned at all that they're not in the greatest of form at the moment? JT is six- And again, we're three months out. So. I know. I, I hear you. JT is 16-5-2 in U.S. team play so far. I think he'd have to fall really far off to not even – to. Yeah, I, totally. I, I think he's enough credit in the bank for sure. And I think it is also worth acknowledging, like the the you know the stroke play numbers are just stroke play, right? Match play is a different beast. We've seen it. Foursomes is a different beast. Four ball is a different beast. Even playing singles in match play is is different than stroke play. That's why we've been able to see guys that don't have the best stroke play records and over the course of a year just absolutely turn up and just roast people in match play and become extremely fear, fierce, fearful, fierce, fearsome, fearsome. That's the word uh, like Ian Poulter's have in there. And I, I would put JT in that category. He's an instigator. He uh, I think he drives a little bit of fear in the European guys. Just, his record kind of speaks for himself at this point. And no matter how good his form is, which has not been great. Over the last three months, uh, Ludwig and JT have the exact same strokes gain number, Correct. 1.15. Correct. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, you could throw Homa in there too as guys that have uh, – this is so hard because we're taking such – and you almost have to do this with the Ryder Cup. You're taking such tiny windows, such small sample sizes. And if you look at JT's last 12 months or Max's last six months – those numbers look really good, right? Uh, JT's dad said this on full swing, like his bad is still really good. And I don't know, like there's nothing, what could he even do to play himself off of that team? I, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, like miss every cut from now until October with injury injury would, I think it'd have to be injury injury. Yes. Yeah. So is it, is it concerning no, because it's still May, but is it something that you're kind of like, oh, this is interesting when it when it comes to the top eight on each side? Yeah, I think that's a little bit interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't see any scenario that Justin Thomas isn't on that team for all the reasons that you just mentioned. And I am really sort of, you know, picking holes here because there's basically twenty extremely strong American golfers who you can all make a case for being on that team. But you know, we, Europe aren't don't have the same strength and depth or luxury that you, the U.S. have. So I'm just saying, you know, there are some players in that U.S. team who performed so well at Quail Hollow that you would have thought, right, well, they're definitely going to be in Rome in a year's time. And I'm not sure that is the case anymore. And when we did this in October, I did say that Colin Morikawa was the one player who I could see being a surprise to not make the Ryder Cup team. And I still stand by that. Uh, I think I'd be yeah, I'd be concerned if, J, if they were relying on JT to be – one of the top like two players on the team, right? Which I think, right. that, you know, if he was if he needed to be the Rory, if he needed to be the Rom like yeah. torchbearer, I'd be concerned. But like honestly, if like worst case scenario, you can like hide JT in like the seven <laughs> the seven slot. I mean, the, the, there's still the, the Cantlay Xander duo 
is still somehow underrated, I think, by a lot of people. Like their 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 playing style is not, you know, exciting. But what those two at Ryder Cups and Presidents Cups have been machines, absolute machines. Xander went three and one is three and one in his Ryder Cup. Uh, you know, his Ryder Cup record can't lay three oh and one in the Ryder Cup. That's a combined, you know, six one and one. That's just a that team you can pencil in and you can p- pencil in JT and Spieth to go out there. And then who do you like Scotty? You can do pretty much anything with, right? Like if you put Scotty and Sam Burns together, all of a sudden Burns is not great form, doesn't concern me nearly as much. And then you got more Cowan, Cameron Young, probably as a team, I would think. Like that's a really, really, really good four teams to throw out in any kind of format. Um, and so that doesn't worry me as much as like, oh, dude, I need JT, I need you to go out and go 3 0 and 1. Um, so I, yeah, I would add to that. This this kind of hit me at, at Whistling Straits that the point of having depth is not so that you can play everybody two matches, right? The point of having depth or the point of having like a, a lot of really good players is to find a hot hand for a week and just, ri- and just ride that team or that guy or whatever. And the U.S. has done a terrible job of actually like playing that out right with sitting Spieth and Reed and in uh, Glen Eagles. And there's a bunch of different things they've done over the years that they've not taken advantage of that. But I do think that like the depth of the team comes into play where, yeah, like if JT is not feeling it, then maybe Tony Finau is or, or whoever, and you can ride a guy for four matches uh, in, in a way that uh, that's extremely beneficial. That is, I completely agree. And I would say like, yeah, you've basically just touched upon it. The advantage of having strength and depth and having nine, 10, 11, 12 in your team as really strong players is that if one, two, three, and four, for whatever reason, aren't performing that week, then you can, there's somewhere else you can go to and to give a recent example of where that hasn't worked is the president's cup last year where on the international side yep. of things Corey connors would have been a player that trevor Immelman was relying on to bring in points he did not have a good week and then you know there weren't the guys to to fill in that blank so um that is the advantage yeah. that the u.s team will have over europe no doubt but if if we have if one of our top players doesn't perform that is also valuable too because it, it gives you the opportunity to tailor the team and you know when you've got eight 10 12 strong candidates for two to four spots you can tailor the team around skill set and you know and really really plug a hole here or there versus just hey we need to bring the overall talent level on a team up to up to par you know <laughs> sorry who are the, the 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 locks i mean is it scheffler max i'm gonna say sander Cantley, scheffler scheffler um xander Cantley. Spieth, JT, Morikawa, I feel all very extremely confident. And Brooks, I feel very confident in sitting here. Um, again, he just doesn't have the same qualifying opportunities. So if the last two majors do go poorly for him and he drops out of the top six, all of a sudden we have an interesting question of, you know, basically I don't think it comes down as much to Zach Johnson as it does like, hey, do like JT and Jordan and like Scotty and those guys and Max and all them, do they want – Brooks on the team. I think the, the answer is probably yes to that. I think that that the answer is, uh, I think that's a different question. If if Bryson wins the last two majors of the year uh, or, you know, plays well in the last two majors and doesn't make it on points, I think it's a very different question. If Reed beats down the door to make the team and they n- would need to pick him to make the team, I don't think they're going to go that route. And I think Liv is a, is a part of that, right? I think in how they've handled everything, uh, I would not, I think that's a different decision. ZJ's again, had some weird quotes to, though. Like if it does come down to the decision, Shocking. like it's just not, you know, it, it's like very, very. Are we worried about ZJ, Kyle? 
<laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm worried for you guys. I'm glad he's not my captain. <laughs> I, I like this. Yeah, he he, Go ahead. he talked about that at the PGA Tron where he, he basically said like, and this was before Brooks won the PGA, but he said, hey, the Masters is just one tournament. And you're like, uh, yeah, it's true. But it's also like, you know, Brooks's history at majors it, pretends that he's going to play well at all of them, you know, throughout the year. So he, he I, I would say he landed heavier on the side of like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that. Think about it. Maybe not pick him. Then we'll like, hey, if he's there, I'll, I'll take him. Yeah, it, it's it's just worth considering too. like Kepka went over to and again, this could mean anything, but he went over to France and laid an egg. I mean, he went one, two and one when he was, I think, the number one player in the world. And he won U.S. Open and PGA that year. Like if you win two majors in a year, doesn't mean you're going to go across the pond and be a world beater in the Ryder Cup. It just doesn't doesn't mean you, you know, it doesn't mean anything either way necessarily. Like you can play yeah. very well in majors. You could miss you could miss the cotton four majors and totally five oh no in the Ryder Cup. Again, so. we're just talking about small little sample sizes in this and that, you know. You can win the Masters and be totally out of form by the time the Ryder Cup rolls around as well. So um, I think, you know, I mean, that was Scheffler's story last year. Won the Masters, didn't play. I mean, he was not great at the President's yeah. Cup. Um, Sam Burns is interesting. He's kind of been a little up and down. He, you know, would kind of rank up there still as the top, one of the top Americans. And he, despite what his record showed at the President's Cup last year, he was awesome. He played really, really good golf and like, the stats, the offline stats would confirm that as well from what I've gathered. So that seems to make a lot of sense. I think you end up with a, a 11 guys pretty easily on the on the U.S. side, which would go Scotty, Brooks, Xander, Cantlay, Jordan, Cam Young, Finau, Morikawa, Burns, JT, and who am I missing? Homa. And, did I not say Max? Okay, and Max on that. I was just going off. That was that so was. Then, for, so then for your 12th, for your 12th, you're looking at either, at the moment, Keegan Bradley, Ricky Fowler, Sahith Thigala. That's up there. I mean, uh, go ahead. Harris English, Wyndham Clark, DJ, Russell Henley. I think you got to go big dick Russell Rick then, yeah, right? Those are- <laughs> I, I don't know what I'd do right now. I mean, honestly, if it was, if it was this week, I think Russell, sneaky Russell Henley's been playing some of the best golf, you know, of of, the, of any American over the last like, uh, you know, not any American. Like, he's fifth in strokes gained over the last month or three months. And I, I and he actually would be the sensible course pick, yeah, I think, as well. I kind of think so too. I, I don't know. My mind's in a pretzel, and that's going to work I, here. <laughs> well, me too. And I, th- I think at the end of it, you have to say like, okay, we haven't won in Europe in thirty years, right? And I need somebody who wants the ball on Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. And tone, baby. I is that is is that Russell Henley? I don't know. Is it DJ? Does DJ care about having the ball, whether he has it or not? I, I it's gonna be like that. Twelfth spot is gonna be super interesting because there's so many different ways you could go with it. I think it'll be the real test of Zach Johnson as a captain, where obviously the, the sexy thing to do is to pick Dustin Johnson or Ricky Fowler, when actually the most sensible thing to do might be picking a Russell Henley, and just. You know, can you ignore the clamor for one of those big names and actually go for the most logical option? I'm not sure if Zach Johnson would. I think it kind of similar to uh, to you guys having four slots that you can kind of you, you don't want to even say a name at this point because you got to see how the next few months shake out. That's how I feel about the 12th spot for the U.S. I think 
a 12th name is likely to materialize in that time frame uh, and, and kind of stand out. Sahith is the one that jumps off the page of like, dude, I don't, he's not like that long or accurate off the tee. And I don't, I think it could honestly be a pretty bad course fit yeah. um, just from what I've gathered for him. But I'm excited about the possibility of him beating down the door to be on that team as well. But he kind of has that, that X factor, doesn't he? And you could sort of see yeah. match play golf, bringing out the best in them. And you can see him pumping his chest and, you know, chugging a beer in the first tee. Do we have like ASCAP I, um, announced yet? Uh, I know Jim Furyk's been announced. I'm not sure who else makes up the rest of the ass captains. I just assume Fred Couples Fred is Couples. Ass, captain, ass captain for life. I mean, it's isn't yeah, it just always the, always the same. Do they ever deviate from the from the group? Strictly ass broke. captain, I assume. Are they unadulterated ass it, captains? It's, it's Steve Stricker, Davis Love, and Jim Furyk. The last three, uh, and, and Fred Couples are the four ass captains of the U.S. side. So... Uh, there's a lot of experience in that room. Solly, let me ask you, of, of your 11 there, I know, you're, I know you're not just saying they're all locks, yep. but of those 11 that seem logical at the moment, who might be the one that you see dropping out and maybe, you know, a Sahith or a Keegan Bradley knocking them out? I, I mean, Burns has kind of regulated his play. I, I've probably been a little harder on him to this point than, than maybe I should have. He had a really tough stretch there early early part of the year, but has played a lot better since then. But uh, he's not been on a, a Ryder Cup team before, and so I think he's still got to maintain really good play to, you know, if he falls off, I don't think it has the same kind of weight carrying as like a JT falling off in terms of week-to-week play. He's still got to play some good golf through the finish line. Max being on the President's Cup team last year and playing so well and getting the four wins, I think even a little dip in his play can kind of help support make and make a lot more sense uh, for him to make the team. I know I said Sam was awesome in the President's Cup, and he truly was. I. I just don't know if it carries the same cloud as somebody like Max, who's won some some BDEs here. Cam Young, <laughs> Cam Young, I don't see him falling off that far. I mean, he's still been a really freaking amazingly good player. I think it's a great fit for uh, the many different formats of the Ryder Cup. He drives it long, really long, and that makes a lot of sense for this course. I think you know. Again, if we're looking at good drivers of golf ball, that's Cam Young. And uh, I, I've not seen a nearly enough dip in play from him to, to even consider that. He's, what, seventh best American over the last three months, probably the seventh best American over the last six months. You know, 12-month play really supports that, and uh, he seems to fit in very much in the future of American golf. So I, I, I'd be shocked if he and wasn't on the team. He's an automatic qualifier right now, along with Max's third yeah. in – but. In Ryder Cup points. Two through six the are tight the, in there in points. A lot can change in that yeah. between now and then. Especially with two majors. The end of the Ryder Cup points list, 10, 11, 12, 13, is uh, Morikawa, somebody we haven't talked about. Kurt Kitayama is 11th. Will Zalatoris, who won't be there, is 12th. And then Wyndham Clark, Big Tone, and Chris Kirk I think Big is Tone's 15th. a lock. Because I think we're, we're, we're yeah, heading the, into to, to Mule Skinner season. Uh, the 3M, <laughs> you know, Detroit, things of that nature. Which will fit in great for the DP World Tour, right? He's going to yeah. skid those big, mules. Big Tone's about ready. His, his stock's going like this. It's going straight up through the summer, man. Solly, right now, would you rather have DJ or Ricky as the 12th man? Before we started the podcast, I would have said Ricky. And I don't know why. Since then, I'm kind of like... Nah, it's it's DJ. He, I know he is not played a good enough golf, but like I I don't get excited about Ricky. I don't three and seven Ryder Cup record. I feel like I've seen that play before. Uh, DJ went five and zero oh at Whistling again. I know he hasn't played nearly as good a golf, but like 
I, I go on across overseas. I, I still think Ricky's uh, Ryder Cup record is buoyed by him coming back to have that match in singles at at Belfry or at uh, Celtic Manor 13 years ago. And his Ryder Cup record's not, not actually good. Um, so I, I'm I think I'd take DJ and kind of throw out the strokes gained and how he's played to this point because I DJ's a G. I mean DJ, if we're looking at Paris as kind of a guidepost. With, you know, a little bit different golf course, a little bit, you know, kind of a weird mixing it up a little bit. Like, yeah, DJ got, you know, lost to Poulter in singles, even got boat raced and, you know. Yeah, I I think there's a sense. I mean, I I can't get what him and Morikawa did at Whistling Straits out of my head. They were so good. And there's almost this sense, and this is probably fabricated by me and other people don't care about it, but of like taking, uh, that felt like the, most of the team that was going to go to Europe and and get it done, right? And and that doesn't mean that you have to take everybody that was on that team because Bryson was on it and Harris English isn't or hasn't been healthy and whatever. But it did. There was a sense of like, okay, we're going to run it back in two years, and these are going to be the guys that go do it. And I, I don't know. It just for that for those reasons, it it does feel like DJ a little bit. The other thing I feel about DJ as well is if you are one of those other eleven guys. And Dustin fucking Johnson walks into the team room. You instantly feel more bulletproof, don't you? Yeah. You're like, here's a two t- a two time major champion. Should probably be five majors. You know, one of the best golfers <laughs> golfers of his generation four went five and zero in the last Ryder Cup. Like, yeah, totally. Um, you know, who's going to inspire you more? Looking over into the corner of the room, Dustin Johnson or Russell Henley? I agree. I agree. It's it's just still also worth pointing out, like over the last several months, like Ricky has consistently and severely outplayed DJ. Like it's it's really not been good. DJ had a good opening round the PGA, and he put his ass off. And his sustainability model said it ain't going to happen, and it didn't happen. Like his ball striking is just not the same as it as it once was. And he got his fat paycheck, and it to me doesn't appear as hungry, which like. You can't say that about Brooks, obviously, because he shows is shown up at the majors extremely hungry to this point. So, and he's been playing team golf all year. True. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, I think going back to the European team real quick, guy that I'm just poking around on a little bit. Hold on, hold sure. On. Is is uh, is uh, Torbjorn? <laughs> that was a good twenty exactly, minutes of the US. Yeah. Let's yeah. get back to Europe because it's always let's talk about the US for for an hour and a half, and then we'll give you some some little crumbs of like 15 minutes here or there for Europe. So, uh, so Torbjorn, was, was he hurt there for a while? Cause he kind of went on that like nice, like he had a nice run there. He won in Thailand. He played, played really well a couple weeks ago in, in uh, Belgium, but like he had like a 10 or 12 week gap there. Yeah. Look, I've got him in my sort of outsiders at the moment because he knows how to win. He's been on a winning Ryder cup team, took down. Who did he take down? Spieth in Paris. He did. Um, mm. you know, so, uh, I think he's got a, a game that suits Marco Simone as well, but yeah, he just hasn't done it in recent months. I don't know. It's because well, he, he played like, you know, he played well, he won in, or he had T4 at the Ross Alcaima championship, not to be confused with the, which uh, one, the championship, not the, not the open, okay. <laughs> uh, then played well at T6 at, at, at the hero Indian. Oh, open, no, here we and, go. Then, and then a here third at the suit all open <laughs> here recently, but he had like a 10 week gap there where he didn't play from India all the way till the Italian open, which T40, the Italian open, but how, 
How concerned would you be if you're a European tour player and you're not on Jamie's outsider list? <laughs> Tron's <laughs> list longer than mine. I mean, we're just keeping our yeah. options open. It's not like we've picked 11 of our team already and we're not for changing like you guys. Uh, a couple questions here. We have we, stability. We got we to gotta wrap here at, at some point. But you, we teased it earlier about, you know, as home field advantage kind of trending in the wrong direction. This is a point I've made for literally probably a decade now as we've gotten to uh, exacerbated home setups and haven't had a close Ryder Cup. This will be 11 years since our last close Ryder Cup. Jamie, you seem to not be uh, as much on the t- on the side of that things are trending a bit too far. Yet you still complain about the U.S. setups. So. <laughs> no, I mean, I I agree with you. Actually, made a really good point earlier, which was don't say actually, you know, don't be like actually. Whistling Straits was a long golf course, right? And you know, you touched upon the par threes were all like two hundred yards, and that is gonna the best golfers are probably gonna win over the course of three days when a course is long like that. Um, I get that, and obviously, you know. As 12 golfers, the U.S. team is going to be a better team than the European team. I, I, I get that completely. And, you know, recent Ryder Cups, the scorelines do seem to suggest that home advantage is becoming a bigger thing. What I still don't understand is, and no one can really explain to me, is there a European way of playing? Because the best guys in the European team play in the States every bloody week. You know, Rory, Ram, Victor Ovland, Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, Shane Laurie, they are predominantly PGA Tour players. So I don't understand how you can set up a course to suit those guys. And you're not going to also benefit the guys that they're playing with week in, week out in the States. I think as I walked off Marco Simone uh, in shock and uh, just, you know, kind of disgust, you were, you were on tilt. It, it, it was, it's that shocking. It is. It, it really was. It, I was amazed. I was amazed at what we had just seen. It, uh, it triggered me. <laughs> I couldn't believe how, I couldn't believe how upset you got about it. I, I mean, it, it honestly, I, this is a statement I, I'm prepared to make. Like it's, it was barely even golf. Like that's, that's the reaction <laughs> I had to, like, I don't even really even know what we're doing here. It was so tricked up that it becomes like just throwing the golfers in a blender and see what comes out the other end, which I think benefits Europe more than it does U.S. More, not necessarily that it's the playing style that benefits them, but it benefits them to throw extreme variables in there and make sure like everyone's playing from ankle deep rough that you can't really get out of yeah, that's, and yeah, not yeah. make it be about, you know, U.S. team's ability to hit, you know, really good iron so, shots so, at 210. So that's so, so you're setting up the course in reality to benefit numbers nine to 12 in the team, aren't you? Is what you're getting at. Yeah. If any, I mean, I I think if anything, if you can, if on a tricked up weird ass setup, players are just more likely to get jumbled and a lesser skilled player is more likely to beat a higher skilled player than if it was set up with an emphasis on long iron approach game and and mid iron approach game, even, you know, like I I don't think there's a huge advantage between the U S like you throw a team of, you know, Rory and Hovland out against Sander and Cantlay. I don't think it, you know, the setup really matters that much. But if you throw in a, you know, insert whoever you want to insert in there in one of those teams, like all of, that, so all of a sudden that player is competing on a flatter playing field. I disagree. Field than, I feel uh, like it matters more for some of those elite players where like it's going to constrain their skills even more and make it so that Rory can't play a certain style of golf or Xander can't play a certain style of golf. You know, 
I agree. I, I just think that you're constraining more American guys. You're 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 going to constrain like Rom and and Rory were both hamstrung at uh, La Golf National. They were not their normal selves, right? It was won by Fleetwood and Molinari, the dudes that drove it extremely accurately, uh, and Stenson, who came off the, you know and played foursomes perfectly and and won his singles match. And if you can, but if you can just throw a whole bunch of other shit in the mix to neutralize a team that has a talent advantage. Like uh, it's smart for Europe to do. I think it just, again, comes back to like, dude, is this setting us up for like the most exciting championship and tournament and exhibition? I don't know if it is. Maybe if, maybe if it makes it closer, it will. And we get there, but like the path to getting there is going to be tough. I think you said right at the top that it's like 24th or 23rd or something in terms of accuracy. And that's how the Italian really seem. That doesn't really seem as extreme as you're kind of making out. Yeah, it could be the case. It is extreme. I don't know. I can't equate how it has. But played. just there, there are twenty-two other courses that are more extreme. No, I'm just saying I can't equate uh, how it uh, has rewarded certain players at the Italian Open versus like the extreme thing that I just saw. Like, j- just trust me on this. It's extreme. There's a couple holes. That it are sounds like the eye truly test. mind-bogglingly bad. Like, it does. there's holes where you it, it narrows. Ignoring to like, the data, he's just telling what was what his eyes. It so. narrows to like twelve yards in certain spots, and you got to hit tee shots that both. Like you got to hit a, a the drive on like the twelfth hole has got to be you got to hit it between two ninety. I'm just throwing out numbers between two ninety five and three fifteen with the right shot shape to get it in this fairway. And then if you hit it in the fairway, there's a tree in your way between the fairway and the green. Like that's the kind of that's sick. then there's some that narrowed down to like eight yards wide on the fifteenth hole. The third hole is beyond bizarre. It's like a blind tee shot that doglegs to the right, and as it doglegs, the fairway narrows down to again about eight yards, and it's canted from right to left as it doglegs right. You can't hit the fairway in that part, and it is it's just like a blender. It is a total blender, so, and I don't know if it's. Solly said he would watch. rather if given ten rounds. He would rather play the Belfry 10 times. <laughs> yes. 10 over, 10 zero. <laughs> That's not true. It is. So it is really not, it's, Solly. It's, it, the Belfry is the worst it. golf course. It's not good. It's 10 zero still. It's 10 zero. Like, you no guys way. aren't understanding. You wanted to like, cancel I, I the Riders. Me. He, he, I, I think it should not, maybe <laughs> not count this year. <laughs> that was what I said to you guys. But you're not, TC immediately went to go ripping Hazeltine. I was like, you're not understanding what I'm saying if you're saying the two courses in the same sentence right now. What are you going to say, Kyle? Well, it, it sounds a little bit like – remember the um, the Rashid Wallace, Rip Hamilton, Pistons, how they would just like ugly it up? That's exactly right. Like right. They, they, would, they would face these like beautiful teams in like the sun, like the seven seconds or less Suns and the Lakers, and they would be like, we're just going to – we're just going to like, we're just going to bang you and like, go, you know, like we're just going to make it as ugly as possible. Yes. Is that, is that what we're getting yes, at here? Very much so. Okay. And there's like, a sounds fun. It's, it's going to be Can't great. 16 is going to be cool. It's a drivable four where none of that rough bullshit like gets in the way. Uh, and you can 16, 17, 18 is a great finish, right? It, For it's Ryder a Cup. solid finish. 18 still like too narrow. Like the, it's a par five finisher down the hill to a, with a banking with a green that banks around a pond to the left. It'd be better if it was wider and like just introduced more opportunities for guys to go for that green. There's still going to be chop out shots shortly off the fairway. Like it's just comically narrow in a lot of these places that I just don't think it's like, I, I just don't think it's going to be like fun to watch dudes play that style. I think like my, again, my take it Ryder cup courses don't have to be genius setups. The architecture doesn't matter that much, but at least provide a good stage 
for exciting and fun golf and chances for the crowd to cheer and all that. And I think this setup and this course like diminishes that. I really do think that could be very wrong. I could be totally wrong about it. I'm wrong about a lot of Ryder Cup stuff, but man, it was like, it was I'm jarring. Just, it really was. Yost Loudon on camera. We interviewed him and said, uh, yeah, can I ask about the golf course? What do you think? He's like, can I be honest? It's shit. Like that was the on camera response oh, to it. And like privately, <laughs> private answers were even I'm better. I'm just rolling through our, our, did he, did he think he was looking in a mirror when he when you were chatting to him as well? Exactly, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> me, me disguised as Yost Loudon said it's, it's a shit. fucking travesty and I came here with an open mind. <laughs> I did go with an open mind. Uh, I mean, just 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 appalled. Appalled. You guys are not listening. Yeah, you guys, you guys were listening. not listening. You were not listening at all. No, but the <laughs> I really was listening. But the point that I kept trying to make to you was it doesn't matter for a Ryder Cup. Like all 24 guys are playing the same course. So that's where the part you're not listening. Then you might as well put the pin in the hay fields, right? That if that's the case, right? Who who cares about the setup at all? Like it matters. It does matter. Uh, well, do, speaking of pins, will they let team Rose decide the pin positions after, oh, after right. the, the, pro-am uh, setup. the pro-am at pro-am Hazel team. That was, that was more disgusting than this. Hazel teams. Like, Hazel. <laughs> I, I, again, I have, <laughs> I'm going to ignore that. I haven't even gotten, to, I think, Hazeltine's a good example of like have whatever course that's set up for like 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 uh what was the par five there on on the back sixteen yeah, that's real seventh but sixteen like it was the, the way that everything was set up was was fantastic it's not like you wouldn't you know name Hazeltine as like the most amazing course in the world but the setup was was great I thought team rose is kind of a it's kind of an underrated like we haven't really talked about him but like the resurgence of team rose has kind of gone like completely yeah. unchallenged of like yeah i think he should absolutely be on the team i think he you know i can't stand him but like you know bring him on yeah that's that's yeah you're exactly right it's been a four, <laughs> foregone conclusion <laughs> you see is doing the justin rose uh fist pump at the that's your boy that's your team TC, that's is this the guy on your team? You know, I, I, I know you, I, I know you're not a fan of the individual, but the other thing I would say about Justin Rose as well is he would have had the option of doing what Paul Casey totally. and Westwood and Poulter did last year, and he didn't do it because he wants to be part of the Ryder Cup team. Yep. So somebody Hell that yeah. actually wa- awesome. desperately wants yeah. to be there and is happy to turn down. A, a bajillion Saudi reals because he wants to be there. It goes up in my. Or estimate. they just didn't meet his number. <laughs> How are we? What, what's the? Uh, I, I hesitate to make predictions on here because it can really get distilled down very quickly. Like my prediction is still like I expect the U.S. to win, but am very, very well aware that uh, that it is not a foregone conclusion and that Europe can win this. Uh, does anyone want to venture out on any more any more boldly than I am willing? Yeah, to Europe's going to win. Straight up, period, point blank. Okay. As long as Ludwig makes the team. Okay. What are the odds of that happening right now, Tron? Of, of, I think of it's Ludwig like making the team personally, and I think after Ludwig like finishes top I, I, five I in like one of his first three tour starts, like I think it rockets up to like eighty percent. The unknown factor, and, I, and, I, and I'm embarrassed that I don't know the answer to it, is whether he is a DP World Tour member. I, I don't think he is, right? But can he be in this time period? But he he can go. I mean, what, it, it, you have to play like three events, right? Four events. So you would need to play four events between now and September. He would need, which which is easily done. He's so. already played one this year. Two. He played in Dubai. If they can't figure out how to make him a member by September, then they don't they don't deserve to have him on the team. Isn't that what the street 
Strategic you know? Alliance is for the PGA Tour aiding the European yeah. Tour in the Ryder Cup. <laughs> Real quick, just on this, the 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 current odds are U.S. minus one seventy, Europe plus one ninety, draw plus thirteen hundred, and if you just straight up to lift the trophy, U.S. minus one ninety, Europe plus one seventy. Um, and Data Golf's got a sixty one point five percent chance of the U.S. winning, uh, Europe thirty one point one percent chance as of right now. Porter, what's your prediction? Uh, well, I've come off my, uh, like 23 to five <laughs> number. Uh, I think, uh, I've, I've, I actually have, have, um, been more measured even personally over the last few months. I, I think, uh, the, I don't know. The U S team is kind of JT is not playing great. Max is struggling. Spieth's hurt. I'm going to say 14 and a half to 13 and a half. I think it's going to be close. I think the U S is going to win. I think this is the team to do it. I thought that at whistling straights, I still think it they're loaded and they don't, I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more. They don't have this tiger fill stink black hole, just like sucking up everything at the event. And I think that that sounds stupid because they're two of the 12 best players ever, but I think it matters and I think it's going to matter. And I think the U S is going to win for the first time in, in 30 years in Europe. Jamie final prediction. My prediction back in October was 14 and a half, 13 and a half to Europe. And I'm nothing is going to stray me from that. I don't, I didn't put a number on it, but I'll, I'll go 15 and a half, 12 and a half. And I think like it, the, the, the deciding factor for me is U S is going to have an advantage in singles. Almost certainly. I still think anything can happen in the team play, but even if they're down going into Sunday singles, a lot of those matches are going to line up really, really well for them. I have a feeling almost certainly math wise. And, you know, I'm a big math guy. And I, 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 I think like <laughs> as much as Europe can hide spots, nine through 12 through two days uh, is going to get shined out eventually. Right. And I think that's what, what the data would say is probably likely to what happen. What my plan presupposes is that we don't have to hide those guys. We turn it into a strength. Get Ludwig on the okay, team. You can win. You can call Yannick Paul a strength, and then yeah, then I then if that's what your plan is, TC, I'm excited. There's that sneering, that. condescending <laughs> attitude to European golfers again. I had to do it. I had to do it. I, my my, I think I said this last time, but my hope is just that it's that it's close. That Sunday afternoon. I, I mean, the last couple of times, it, there there's been dramatic moments. Obviously, you had Rom beating Tiger in in Paris. You had Rory crying at whistling. There's things that always happen that are fascinating, but I want something that's like in the balance and it's like 12, 12 late, you know, and, and, and JT and Rom are playing each other or Spieth and Rory are playing each other. And there's like a real moment where you don't know how it's going to go because we just, you know, the, the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup happens so rarely that you almost never get those moments. And I hope we get a couple of those at at uh, at Marco Simone. No, just seeing Shane Lowry in the cauldron, like I think I think he's an undervalued asset right now for the European team. So, and he'd absolutely, you know, he was in his element at Whistling Straits, even though that that went as as badly as it could have for Europe. I remember speaking to him afterwards, and he was just like there were practically tears streaming down his face. He was like, I don't know how I'm going to go back to playing, just for myself again because this has been the best week of my life he absolutely loved it and he cannot wait to get back in that team room again you know it's funny jamie that that uh, i've been accused of so much of the condescension that i i still feel like european fans are condescending about what happened in france and i'm trying to come to terms with like what it would have been like let's say the u.s that year would have lost 19 to 9 
in France and our top player cried. I'm wondering how long Europe would have floated on that on that cloud. Like, I've wondered how long that would have lasted. Like imagine if JT walked off 18 green and cried after losing 19 to 9. How much crying. Europe would have feasted JT on that? JT crying is a different no. thing. We don't, we don't dance in anyone's grave like that. That's not a European thing. Yeah, you're not still dancing on Mola, Molinare, Molinare. I still hear that shit in my dreams, man. Anyways, this has been a fantastic, fantastic catch-up. I could do this weekly uh, if you guys would not get sick of it, but I have a feeling people might. But uh, Jamie, TC, Kyle, greatly appreciate the insights, as always. Look forward to doing it. we got to do at least one more before picks and, and all that stuff happens. But Should we, uh, We'll do one sort of post the Open sometime in August, something like that. That's that sounds ideal. I cannot wait. We could do uh, we could do several more of these before the Ryder Cup tips off. But can't wait. Despite uh, my my disdain for Marco Simone, I really am excited for the Ryder Cup <laughs> and, and all and all European golfers and all European golfers, of course. <laughs> that's that is fake. So that's not a real. Don't thing. let him get away with it. Don't, he's he. That's just squeeze that in at the end, knowing he, we wouldn't fight. Crooked back. Jamie over there. So any Europeans? Any Europeans listening to this podcast? Solely doesn't rate you. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're gonna mute Pin that part out. No, we're taking it out. Ludwig 2023, baby. Do the right thing, Luke. (laughs) Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.